Good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, I am Pastor Jeff. If we haven't had an opportunity to connect, I'd uh, love to get to know you after worship. Just uh, grab me or we can connect at the picnic. Uh, some of you know some of my story uh, for me being here several years. I grew up in a church-going family. I learned the Lord's Prayer as a boy, and uh, I was taught that we were supposed to bring our requests to God. So I did that just in the way that you would expect a nine-year-old boy would do. I pray that God would give me a five-speed Schwinn bicycle with a banana seat and the center shifter, and it was going to be lime green exactly like that one. God did not answer that prayer. Undeterred, I remember as a teenager at one point, uh, my desires shifting somewhat, praying for a really nice car. I think I asked God for a BMW, of all things, and, and maybe $10,000. That would be good, right? And God didn't answer that prayer either. It wasn't long after that, as a teenager, that I started wondering, well, if God's not going to answer my prayers, why should I bother praying? What good is he? Do you ever struggle in prayer? Maybe not exactly like that, uh, but maybe you find yourself asking God sometimes for things that, that you know you don't really need. You ever bargain with God? God, if, you know, if you'll just give me this thing, I will I'll respond in this way. I'll, I'll obey over here. You ever get frustrated and disappointed when God doesn't give you an answer to what seems like a perfectly reasonable request? Sometimes we can treat prayer like a mechanism, and you know there are plenty of resources and voices that will encourage that. Pray this way to get what you want. Here are the words to attract God's blessings in your life. Pray these affirmations and, and see the results roll in. This is the one prayer that God is obligated to answer. Sometimes, maybe on the other end, we don't even want to ask for help. You ever gone a couple of days and realized, I haven't talked to God about anything significant? Or maybe you realize after the fact, you, you were going through a big trial or a big issue, you, you had a problem, you, you had a huge decision in front of you, and, and you suddenly realize, I, I didn't even ask God about that. I just ran ahead. Or you prayed and prayed for something that seemed like a good thing, that was in line, would be in line with God's will, but you didn't seem to get an answer. God said, no. You're not sure God even heard you. And so, are your prayers doing anything? And, and if not, why even bother? There's hope, and there's guidance, and there's help for us in this prayer that Jesus gives us, that we've been looking at. This prayer is about orienting us, about aligning us with ultimate truth, with ultimate life. We're continuing in our series called Teach Us to Pray, where we're looking at this model prayer, this example of prayer that we traditionally call the Lord's Prayer. And we've seen over the last few weeks how Jesus models for us that prayer is first focused on God. That for those who are in Christ, we come to God as a loving, caring Father. But He's also huge and holy and glorious. Jesus reminds us that He's our Father in heaven, and He points us towards God's 
omnipotence and, and transcendence and, and his worth by encouraging us to start by praising and adoring him. And because God is a king, we pray that his kingdom, his values would be more seen in our lives and in this world. And now, now Jesus invites us to ask God for the things that we need. It begins this section that we're going to look at over the next few weeks where we're asking for God's provision and God's pardon and God's protection. The verse we're looking at today seems really simple. Give us this day our daily bread. But Jesus is helping us see who God is. And he's telling us not even just what to pray, but how to pray and why to pray. These six or seven words give us guidance and encouragement and important reminders in bringing our needs, our requests to God. So we're going to go through this verse and unpack it a little bit and see three big things about God that also tell us how we respond. So let's jump in. Give us this day our daily bread. I think the first thing Jesus wants us to recognize as we pray that, we are acknowledging that God is powerful. God is strong. We are coming to God and saying, God, you are the one who can give me today what I need. He's the one who has to provide. God alone brings rain from heaven. God alone causes crops to grow from the ground. God brings life. God sustains life. God holds all things together. He alone can save and rescue. It's a reminder that we are creatures. And he's the creator. We are needy. We are dependent. And he is the provider. See, Jesus is encouraging us to pray for daily bread because he's training our hearts to be aware of our dependence on God for everything. For everything. Jesus deliberately chooses what in that culture was the most basic daily need. I have to have this to live. And at the same time in our culture, we have so much affluence and so many resources that now bread is so common that it might just be something we don't even think about. I think in both of those cases, Jesus is saying, I don't want there to be anything for which you fail to recognize your dependence on God. So as we see that God is strong, our response to to his power, to his strength is dependence, an attitude of dependence that we can express by saying, please, please, please help God, please provide. You know, is it easy for you like it is for me to kind of make a a big thing, little thing distinction in your life? Like, yeah, I, I know I need God when big things come along, like a job interview or a health crisis or financial problems or or a big decision or a conflict in a relationship. But Jesus says, no, I, I want you to pray, Lord, I'm trusting you today for the most basic thing I need to survive. I, I need you for everything, Lord, to even help me live in this day. And, and it's important that Jesus says we pray daily this prayer. The Greek phrase there is actually kind of a unique word, and commentators point out that it could mean, give us this day what I need. It could mean, 
give us what we need for the day that is to come. So either way, it emphasizes our dependence, right? We can pray it in the morning, asking God to give us what we need for the day we're heading into. We, we can pray it at night, trusting that God is the one who works while we sleep and he will be there tomorrow to provide for what we need in that day so that we can rest in peace. Jesus is encouraging us to, to cultivate a day-to-day -day awareness of our absolute dependence on God. And when he talks about daily bread, it's pointing us towards several things. I, I think the first one is this reminder of how God provided for his people when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. Remember? That God performs all these miracles, fire from heaven and plagues, and he drowns Pharaoh and his horses in the sea, and he, he leads them in the wilderness, and what do they say? Why did you bring us out in the desert to die? Like, did, did you guys just see what I did? And so what he does is he says, okay, fine, I will provide for you, and he literally rains bread from heaven and says, every day, go out and gather what you need for that day. And when the people tried to gather more than that, it, it turned bad. It rotted on them. Every single day, they had to come back to receive God's provision for that day, to cultivate in us an awareness of our dependence, total dependence on God. And he wants us to recognize that he is dependable in this day that he has us in. You know, we sometimes talk about being the breadwinner in our family, the person who provides the most economic income to, to support the family. God is the ultimate breadwinner. He is the one who provides the bread for us, provides the ability for us to earn bread. Sometimes we can be breadwiners you know, and I don't like what you gave me, God, and I want something different. I mean, that's what God's people did, right? Like, all right, fine, you're raining bread from heaven, but I'm tired of that. Can we have something else? And, and I love how, you know, God is a father. You want something else? I'll give you something else. I'm going to give you quail, and you're going to have so much of it, it's going to be coming out of your nose until you're sick of quail. Happy now? It's a paraphrase. God feeds them miraculously for 40 years every single day. And then he brings them into the land that he promised he was going to bring them into. And when he does, he warns them. Deuteronomy 8, be careful that when you settle down and build houses and your crops and your herds increase and your gold and your silver, that your heart is not lifted up and you forget Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt and fed you with manna every day. Beware that you don't say, my strength and my power have gotten me all this wealth. Because it is the Lord your God who gives you the ability to get wealth. Even when God rained manna from heaven, the people had to go out and gather it. Because God provides for us through means. And that means is often work. But the ability to earn, the work that he puts in front of us are opportunities to remind ourselves that it's God who provides for our daily need. Maybe we don't say please as much to God because 
our pantries and our refrigerators and our freezers are full of food. And we have retirement accounts. And what is the, the first sentence that we learn almost is, I'll do it. I do it. We're wired to assert our independence. You know, in our house, we, we have a fun tradition around that. Uh, when our kids enter junior high school, they get a special gift, a laundry basket and instructions on how to use the washing machine. It's more of a gift for us, I guess, than it is for them, but it's fun. All of us look for those markers of independence, right? When I can ride a bike on my own, when I get my driver's license, when I get a diploma, when I get my first job, we're always looking to be independent and self-sufficient. And Jesus is pointing us back to a, not childish, but a childlike dependence that regularly says, please, help. Lord, I, I need you. I need you today. I need you this hour because you are the provider. You're the sustainer of everything, everything that I need. Father, I need you today. Father, I need, I need, I need you to help me do a good job at work. Give me wisdom for raising my children well. Grow me in patience with my coworkers. Help me make good decisions that would honor you and bless others. Help me use the resources wisely that you put in my hand. Help me be kinder to my neighbor. God, help me speak with gentleness. When we pray, please give me what I need today, it's a reminder that God is the provider. And we're creatures. We are dependent. And God is not just strong. God is good. That's the second thing that this prayer, this simple prayer is pointing us towards. Just a little later in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes on to say, which one of you, if his son asked for a loaf of bread, would give him a stone? Or which one of you, if your son asks you for fish, are you going to give him a snake? If you, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus cares about advancing his kingdom. Jesus cares about feeding his children. He cares about all of it. Our lives aren't divided between, you know, spiritual stuff over here and earthly physical things over here. God is the one who created us with appetites and desires and needs. And God gives us, his word says, all things richly to enjoy. This prayer is a reminder that God knows what we need and he generously gives it. J.I. Packer puts it this way in his book, Praying the Lord's Prayer. This petition shows us how to regard our bodies. As Christians, we don't deify them. We don't make health and beauty ends in themselves like pagans do. Nor do we despise our bodies. We accept our bodies as part of God's good creation. We act as stewards and managers, and we gratefully enjoy the gifts God gives us as we do that. If you enjoy health, good appetite, physical agility, you should enjoy them further by delighting in them. Delighting in the gifts of God is part of our duty to him. Without it, we are being ungrateful for good gifts. Isn't that a great word to hear? And so our response to God's goodness is gratitude. 
we, we say thank you, thank you, God, because God created us with senses to hear and see and taste and touch to enjoy his goodness. And, and all of those things are meant to draw a worshipful response of thank you. A few weeks ago, I uh, cooked out some chicken for dinner. I had uh, rubbed it with some special uh, salt and paprika that we found at a local shop. I, I put some wood chips over under the fire on the grill, and I had the chicken over on the other side on low heat, and it, and it just smoked in there for like an hour and a half, and, and the chicken picked up this, oh, this amazing, rich, smoky, savory flavor, and I mean, you can ask our kids, they will tell you that I was raving about that chicken for days. And yes, I was proud that something that I cooked actually turned out well. If you want the recipe later, I'll get it to you, because it was seriously, it was pretty great. But I was also just deeply thankful for the goodness of God in something as simple as smoked chicken, because it was good. Do you have moments like that? We, you, you eat a wonderful meal. You hear a beautiful piece of music. You see a gorgeous sunset. You, you watch a, a movie that, that really touches you. You read a powerful book, and you see some athlete on the field do something amazing, and you say, that was awesome. And it, and it is awesome, but it points ultimately to the one who is awesome himself. It points us to a God who is good and gives good gifts and loves what he has created. And when we experience that kind of joy and satisfaction, Jesus says the right response is, thank you. Thank you for the good things you provide for us, God. Richard Twist, a Native American Christian pastor, tells what gratitude looks like in one Native culture. This is fascinating. Among the Yupik people of the western coast of Alaska, they believe that animals give themselves to feed us and the social pattern around that is when you eat a chicken, you eat everything on the chicken. You don't feed the scraps to the dog. You don't throw the bones away. You either burn them or you bury them. Or with some animals, you take the bones back to where the animal came from because their social value is gratitude. You're thankful that the animal gave its life to nourish you. And so you treat it as a gift that deserves respect. Maybe we don't think of our things this way because we have so many things, right? Our closets are full of clothes. Our homes are so full of good stuff that it's easy to take them for granted and, and just assume there's plenty more where that came from. What if we were intentional to thank God each day for, for the clothes that we have on? And, and to treat them with respect, to, to give thanks to God for the cars that we drive and, and the roads that we drive on, even with all the potholes. I mean, it's, it's worse, it's better than it could be, right? I mean, it's, it's not as bad as it could be. What if we thank God seriously, though, for the people who made those roads, the people who make those cars? Because, you see, when God says, give us this day our daily bread, it's a reminder that we're part of a community. The bread does not magically show up on my countertop. Somebody grew the wheat. Somebody milled it. Somebody transported it. Somebody put it in the grocery store. Somebody stocked it. Somebody checked me out of the grocery store. 
There's so many people who made that possible. There are businessmen and bankers and construction workers and policemen and teachers and insurance salesmen and doctors and artists and government officials who are all part of the economic system that makes it possible for me to have bread on my table. God's goodness prompts us to give thanks for the people who help make that happen. We thank God for good gifts and the the people who bring them to us. We, We pray for the needs of others. Because I have brothers and sisters who need bread and and who need God to give good things to them. And and so because God is good, we are grateful and we say thank you. And then God is wise. God is wise in what he gives to us. Because Jesus again says just a little bit later, your heavenly father knows what you need. He knows. Prayer for daily bread reminds us that God knows what he's doing with what he provides for us. And man, that is an easy prayer to pray when things are going great and when I'm healthy and when I've got a solid, stable job and loving family and friends around me. Can I believe that God is wise and he knows what he's doing when his provision is loneliness or pain or disappointment? or sickness. Because see, I think this prayer also points us to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Remember, he's been fasting and praying for 40 days, and Satan comes to him and says, hey, you're hungry? If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus, again, quoting Deuteronomy, says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's not telling us that hunger doesn't matter. He's not telling us that we're supposed to be super spiritual and not eat and care for ourselves. He's saying that we can, though, discipline ourselves in order to focus more on God. We can sacrifice for the sake of something that is more eternally significant. And man, if there is a message that we could stand to hear in our culture that can say no to nothing, that's a word that could help us. Because that's what the world we live in tells us. If you want something, take it. If you desire something, have it. And Jesus is saying, God provides for your needs. Not always immediately. But he provides what we need eternally. We need his word. We need his guidance. We need his life. Jesus goes from there later in his ministry to feed a hungry crowd because God cares about our needs. But when he does that, do you remember what he says? I am the bread of life. And yes, I'm giving you food to feed your body, but whoever eats this bread, whoever takes hold of me, will never go hungry. There's there's a connection here to the Lord's Supper as Jesus blesses the bread and gives it to his disciples and said, this is my body. You're going to eat this physical bread in the Lord's Supper and be hungry again. But the bread that I'm giving you of myself, my word, my life for you is eternally what your soul is nourished by. It's a reminder that as we eat and give thanks for daily bread, we give thanks even more for Jesus who is the living bread who feeds our souls, who saves us, who empowers us, who rescues us. And we thank God 
Yes, for the physical bread, but even more that he would send his son to save us. And it points us towards an eternal home in God's presence. Because eternity, Jesus says, is going to be like a big wedding feast, a banquet, a celebration of God's goodness and provision. So if I don't get the satisfaction of those desires now, I know that one day I will, and I can trust my Father who is wise and who will satisfy me with things that that the good stuff here is only a foretaste of. Our response to God's wisdom is contentment. To say, I have enough. God is wise and he knows what he has given me. And I trust that it's enough. Because this prayer, you see, is an antidote to, to greed and to dissatisfaction. There's this great little scene in uh, one of the VeggieTales episodes where Larry the Cucumber is playing with this uh, new Jeep that he's just gotten, and he's super excited because I've been wanting it for such a long time, and Bob the Tomato says, you must be really happy. And Larry goes, yeah, I guess. It'd be better if I had the trailer that went with it. The trailer? Yeah, and the dirt bike, and the action hang glider. And, And Bob interrupts and says, Larry, how much stuff do you need to be happy? And Larry says, I don't know. How much stuff is there? That's us, right? I ran across this website, the world's most expensive meals. At a restaurant in Tokyo, you can get a bowl of ramen for $110. One bowl of ramen. When I was in college, $110 would have bought me a year of ramen. (laughs) At the Westin Hotel in New York, you can get a white truffle bagel with gold flakes on it for $1,000. The ultimate in Italy is Chef Viola's Louis XIII pizza. It has lobster, caviar, eight different types of cheese, and it is seasoned with salt that has been handpicked from an Australian river. It sells for $12,000. That is a lot of basbos and pacinis. This prayer, for one thing, is a reminder that God has promised to give us daily bread, not Louis XIII pizza. Jesus is not encouraging us to to pray for the BMW or the winning lottery ticket. Like, I'll take that temptation, Jesus, right? But then I realize how easily I can point the finger at someone else's extravagance, someone else's opulence, and forget that I am one of the world's wealthiest and, in relative terms, most opulently living human beings, simply by being an American. Half the world lives on two and a half dollars a day. And I can spend twice that much on a coffee and four times that much on an appetizer. What would people living on less than 250 a day think about my spending? On things like electronics and nice coffee and a dog groomer. See, this isn't, this isn't about guilt, though. Jesus never motivates us with guilt. Sometimes it's good to take an inventory, to to gain some perspective on things. Why am I so bothered at a $12,000 pizza relative to my income? I'm not bothered at all by a $20 pizza relative to the income of people living on $2.50 a day. My $20 pizza seems perfectly reasonable to me. So for some people, a $20 pizza is an extravagance. And for other people, an 80,000 BMW is reasonable and maybe even appropriate. The question, Jesus never raises the question of how much stuff do you have, but what are you doing with the stuff? And does the stuff have you? 
Jesus is the answer to our heart's restless searching for satisfaction, fulfillment, identity, significance, recognition. Because when we find our satisfaction in Jesus, we reflect his kind of contentment that Paul echoes when he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. Man, I'd love to get there, right? But I know Jesus is the secret because we can enjoy the good things that God provides when we don't need them. When they're not our life, they're not our hope. Jesus helps me say, God, you've given me enough. My house is enough. My money's enough. My food is enough. My clothes is enough. If I have Jesus, I have enough. And it doesn't mean we don't go out and earn more. That's not the point. But if I have Jesus, I have enough. Dependence, gratitude, contentment. Jesus is guiding us into an awareness of our, our daily dependence on God for everything. He's training our hearts to be grateful for all that we receive. He's shaping us into being satisfied with what the Father provides. But most of all, most of all, this prayer is about pointing us ultimately to the living bread, Jesus, that alone satisfies our hearts, saves us, rescues us, gives us life, and gives us enough. Jesus is pointing us in this prayer to the one who says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Father, thank you. Thank you that you made us in a way to be dependent on you. And, and we acknowledge there's a part of that we don't even like. Father, forgive us for wanting to go our own way and trust ourselves and think it's all been about what we've done. Father, help us as creatures whom you love to be gratefully, joyfully dependent on you, to see and taste that you are good, to say thank you, and to believe that you are wise in what you provide. You are enough. Thank you. Lord, thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.